You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with Critics' Choice, a Golden Globe nominee for Best Supporting Actress, Amanda Seyfried for Mank. Mank, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talked. Ready and willing to hunt a great white whale? Just call me Ahab. Tell the story you know. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. This is different. This is about something. I've put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly platonic affairs. I gave you a second chance. How wealth and influence can crush a man. Are you hoping I might absolve you of such a personal betrayal? You made yourself court jester. Nobody but nobody makes a monkey out of William Randolph Hearst. You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished. Mank. Mr. Mankiewicz. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Mank. I know you're doing so many of these interviews, so I, I really appreciate your time. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it, you know, I was talking to a friend last night, and I have, I've never spoken about a movie at this length for this amount of time. And it's, it, it's incredible. I, I, you know, there's momentum in, in it. And I know that I'm, I'm going to get a finite amount of time in the grand scheme of things to talk about Marion Davies and to talk about this project. And so it's not, it's not, there's no trouble talking about it because I believe in it. And also this moment's going to go away. And, and I have so many feelings about this character. And, and so I, I, I'll talk about it as for as long as I can. Well, let's, let's keep talking about it then. <laughs> so <laughs> when, when you first learned that David Fincher was interested in you playing Marion Davies, how familiar were you with her career or her as a person? I, w- I wasn't familiar at all. I, I knew her name. I couldn't even picture her. So I was starting from, from scratch with, in, in getting to know her and, and studying her, her life. And you know, the, the, the script had so much already done for me. Jack Fincher, who wrote it, definitely did his research in every way for all of these characters. And I think, and I believe that he really got the goods. He really found the essence of Marion Davies in those six scenes or whatever, however many scenes. And so it didn't, it it wasn't as terrifying after reading the script as it would have been if I felt like I had to do all the work myself. And so that that groundwork was done, and um, and I had a book and a, her movies, of course, all of her screen time, which was very, very, very essential. And God, I just you know from starting from zero and you know feeling like I'm I've walked in her shoes and I'm, I'm, I'm I helped give her a voice. I couldn't I couldn't feel closer to someone who existed in the '30s. Hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, this is only your second time playing a real person after Lovelace. How how do you balance putting yourself into a character, making a role your own, like you would with a, a fictional character, versus maintaining their their heart, their essence, because they were real? I don't have a process, but in thinking back and having to reflect back on the times I, the time I spent with both of them. The first thing that comes to mind is the the re- my relationship with them, starting from being able to relate to them and to their specific circumstances. Obviously, I I I 
my life is not at all like Marion Davies' life, but there are similarities. Obviously, I'm Linda Lovelace and I are very far apart in terms of our life experiences, but you find the humanity in somebody immediately and you can immediately connect to them. And that my job as the actor in portraying someone is to find their essence, not necessarily to imitate them or look like them or even sound like them. It's about finding the essence of this person. We all have one and it's, we are all different. And finding that fingerprint, that very specific thing that makes them them is the first, is the key to it. And, the, and, 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 and unlocking that um, is making sure you can understand where they come from. I mean, I, I, if, if I ever ended up playing a serial killer, for instance, I would have to find the humanity. You know, I'd have to be a def their defense lawyer for, for a while and try to figure out what got them to where they are and have that compassion for them. So not to say that Linda Lovelace and Marion Davies were, were kind, generous people. So, but it, but that's what you do, you know, no matter what, if they're, if they're similar to you or they're, there's hardly any similarities at all. You, you find the human and you share a life with them for a minute. And speaking of finding the human, you know, it feels like there's this perception of Marion of being all good looks and no brains, at least at that time. And you, have, you have a line in the movie, uh, you say, since when does anyone care what I have to say? But clearly the film shows the other side that she really did have this step. So how did you how did you play both sides, the public perception of maybe being shallow, but then the showing the real depth underneath? Well, I think the truth is yeah, there's, everybody's going to have a, per, a perception of you. You can't control what people think. You can't control people judging you. You just have to take care of yourself and know who you are. And I think she survived in a way it was, um, it was helpful to her that people assumed she was a certain kind of person because then she could negotiate her way around situations. For, for instance, I use that too in my life. If I'm dealing with people who are, unpredictable and or or just not very nice or not very patient i will i will back off and be a little bit less of who i am in order to survive that situation and and she did that really beautifully she she navigated those waters these in these industry men who have agendas and people who needed certain things from her that they didn't deserve she would give them a little an, like an ounce and and then walk away and it didn't seem to bother her so much because she understood what it was she understood who she was and what was needed of her from certain people and that takes a smart person that takes us someone who's well-rounded and came from from a good place and i mean there's i, I really loved her i really i and i I want to drive home the fact that she was a, a real person. Of course, she's a real person, but just the idea of Marion Davies. Most people, most, you know, 90% of people will say, yeah, she was Hearst's mistress. Um, or they'll say, oh, yeah, she's a terrible actress. She just, she's just such, a, such an idiot. Um, wrong, wrong. She was her mistress, absolutely, but that doesn't define who she was. Of course not. Could you imagine me being defined by my role in Mean Girls? It's just not fair. But she she took that, you know. She took she had dignity, and she she, she understood why. She understood it wasn't about her. It was about everybody else. And 
you know, I am, it wasn't all loss, but I think reclaiming her legacy a little bit here is, it's, it's been really nice to show the world the human, not the, the um, hologram or whatever it is that people envision when, when they think of her. Is that why you feel such a connection to her? You referenced your role in Mean Girls. Do you feel like people had a similar perception of you because of that? Absolutely. It's hard not to when you when you, the first time you meet somebody, when first time you meet an actor, they're playing an idiot, like a, a really sweet, sweet, dumb, blonde trope. You know, I, I uh, that movie meant everything to me. It was my first movie. It was amazing. And I got to, you got to be a little bit smart to play people like that. And people don't seem to understand that. And Marion played dozens, dozens and dozens of those characters. You know, the madcap, like, like blowing her hair in front of her face, like silly damsel in distress. It's, it, it all, she played it all. Um, and she was good at it. She was really good at it. And it does, and I thought she was incredibly talented. But yeah, no, sorry, to, to your point, I absolutely could have been pigeonholed very easily. And maybe I was a little bit, but I, I think I, I was able to, escape that real very quickly because I needed to show people that I was more than just Karen Smith uh, as grateful as I am to Karen Smith and I'd love to play her again you know but but yeah we have a Marion and I share a bunch of similarities <laughs> you know coming from a working class family and being thrust into this world very differently different paths to the world but still in that vicinity and and um, being able to see people for who they are and people that have compassion for people and not to be too quick to judge and you know having she was having humility and we were very similar in a lot of ways and that's not just me trying desperately to find a connection that's me understanding the human and and, and where she came from and, and having studied her and so the other day somebody um so I'm rambling but somebody said to me somebody who I really respect. And they said, um, you know, she was a terrible, terrible actress. And I was like, no, what? My first, my first like reaction was really, gosh, was I wrong? Was I just trying to play the part? Was I, was I filtered? Was there a filter on? Um, and uh, I went back and, 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 and just looked at some clips just to be like, cause to shake my head from it and uh, shake it out of me and no I I was not I'm not like kidding myself I'm I saw that she has real she had real talent she had real passion she's real smart so anyway that's awesome I gotta kill that conception the misconception <laughs> of her I gotta kill it I, lo I love that you're standing up for for the person that you played it's not just a role it's beautiful yeah I'm like, because here's the thing this whole thing is actually kind of about both of us. This this movie is about Herman Mankiewicz. Let's not forget. Mm -hmm. This movie is about Herman Mankiewicz, but Marion comes away. Marion's legacy comes away from this movie. Those six scenes changed for the for the better. She deserves that. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was your what was your first day on set like? Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's always nerves. Uh, Terrifying. Did you, did, I was going to ask, did you feel ready ready to nail it or, or did it take a while to get settled in? You always hope that you're going to be ready to nail it on the first day, knowing that that's 
an impossibility and improbability and more so it's more fair and i i didn't have any lines luckily but i felt very stiff and even though i had the incredible costumes it definitely made me walk differently my posture was completely different i because i didn't have any lines i didn't have anything to really hold on to because it was just one of those quick scenes where i'm, I'm I'm saying goodbye to to Mayor and with flowers and getting in the car over and over and over again. And it just, I never warmed up that day. I never warmed up. I mean, it was cold in the morning and this, the weather warmed up, but my, me as Marion, I did not warm up. And it took me a, a while, it took me until December. And I think I'd been working for a month at that point to really feel like I was getting my, I was getting soaked in her, you know, I, it, it, yeah, it was, it was hard. I mean, we ended up reshooting a scene that we shot in November Thank God, because I went back into that scene feeling like I didn't want to let Marion go. I was so in it, I didn't want to let her go. And that was the last scene we shot. And then we had a shutdown. Mm. So, I mean, a world shutdown, not we had finished the movie. Right, right. In the, you know, the nick of time. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. So much has been made of David's countless takes, um, but I'd love to know, aside from kind of that hyperbole or the story people say about Fincher, what's this, what's, what is it actually like working with him day to day? It's actually having um, someone who respects what you do and allows you to do what you do within his own parameters. He gets you very comfortable with his parameters right off the bat because, you know, he, why wouldn't you want to work with someone who knew, who knows what they want? I mean, I'm not the director of this. I'm the actor. And there's a, there's a hierarchy for a reason. We, you know, we're making, we're telling his story and we're very happy to do it. And because he knew exactly what he wanted, there was, there were no, I, I trusted him every step of the way. And I trusted that he trusted me. Did I trust myself? Not necessarily, but I trusted him that he trusted me. And in that process, he's, it's not like he was holding my hand at all. It was, it was, uh, what's a good way to, um, it was almost like he, 
he was just, it always felt like he was right there with me, right there next to me. And he always had the, the, the perfect note, the perfect direction. And I'm not just saying this in hindsight, like, not like that was, it was traumatic, not like, you know, giving birth to a child and being like, it was amazing when it was horrible. It was actually, because <laughs> I always wondered that about his, the actors, because I, I hear about the stuff, you know, the takes and the tediousness too, but it wasn't as tedious as it was, it was all for the performance to get the right moments. And I wouldn't have it any other way anymore. It's like theater. Get to, to get to do it that many times and to know when you walk away that you've 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 nailed it you've really taken it to a place with you know he really helped take you to a place where you needed to go in order to tell the story in the best way possible god it's luxurious it doesn't happen very often you don't get those that those opportunities anymore because the budgets are shrinking every year and no matter who's directing you know it's just it's lightning. It was like a lightning strike. Netflix giving him free reign, much like Orson Welles had when he was in, you know, starting out and with Citizen Kane, especially. Man, I love, I loved it. I love it. I, I, I made, you know, I made no, um, I, I didn't hide the fact that I was trying to get into his next movie <laughs> because you know that he's going to make something very specific and very breathtaking and something almost close to perfect and and uh it's because we had time it's because we have those multiple takes quote unquote right man good you talked about how honored you felt when david had you specifically in mind instead of as opposed to you know you you chasing down this role who are the other directors that you would just be you're just dying to work with you would love to work with <laughs> Uh, listen, I would love to work with, um, um, Paul Thomas Anderson, obviously <laughs> Greengrass. Um, I mean, Martin Scorsese, obviously his brain is just delicious. Um, who, I, I mean, I, I will say the people I've worked with that I would do anything for are Adam McGowan and, um. Paul Schrader, and I've, luckily I've gotten to work with them. Uh, and David Lynch, sorry, David Lynch. <laughs> Jesus, that was like, I didn't know that was even possible. Man, um, but yeah, I would, I'm, Paul Thomas Anderson is just, uh, Darren Aronofsky, because, because, you know, I know people think he made a wrong turn, but I love his brain. I always have. Um, I love the movie The Fountain so much more than most people <laughs> understand. It's good. It's so good. Yeah, I, I listen. There's, I have a list, and 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 yeah, it would be amazing. Um, I'd love to work with John Chu and Wicked, but everybody at Universal already knows that. I've already sent in my effing tape, and you know, I've got some humility. If I don't get it, I it's, it wasn't for me, but it's not for lack of trying, because. You know, John Drew's great. I just, I mean, now he's a, now he's doing Wicked. I'm like, yeah, how, how, how did I never consider this? You know, you think of certain directors and then they do something completely different and you're like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. You, um, yeah. Well, you've been acting since you were a teenager. So you've been at this for a while now. After all this time, what are the moments that still give you butterflies in your stomach? Uh, moments that still make you 
nervous or excited uh, when you join a project? Every time I, well, this, this, for instance, just meeting David, because I've been watching all his, his whole catalog. And um, since I knew of him, what, I mean, I still get butterflies thinking of meeting these actors that I've just admired for so long. I've gotten to work with so many legends. I remember just, oh my God, I was sitting down with the director of Mamma Mia 2. I just met, we had just met in London and I sat down and I was like, so who's playing my grandmother? And he said, Cher. And I teared up. I was like, I like there's no like it's always a surprise when somebody you've I mean I I sometimes you get to FaceTime with people who are just legends people that you who, who've helped mold your childhood with their music or their or their performances and it's um it happens all the time it will never stop happening also another moment when somebody like that who i have admired for so long meets my child makes me want to just makes you know I, it happens all the time it never ceases to amaze me how amazed i can be still i'm not jaded and uh when somebody for instance like puts me up in a nice hotel because i i work with them I, I go, I, I travel a lot when we're not in a pandemic and every time I come into a new hotel room that's like five star and really nice and smells good, I always have a moment of like, holy shit. And you know, when I fly first class on Lufthansa or, you know, Air France, I'm always like, how the f did I get here? I have moments like, it, it's just all the time, you know, all the time. That's awesome. And I love, I've, I, I've definitely noticed that Cher is uh, stumping for Mank, and definitely I've seen lots of promotions. It is, for that. but they were like, it's like everybody knows it's a campaign, and and I've never done one for my own performance. I help. I like. I was on the track with Les Mis. Of course, I watched it all happen, and I never once during Les Mis did I did I think, oh, I wish, I wish they would celebrate my performance. Never once, because it seemed like a lot of work, and I also like. You know, you don't do it for that. You don't do it for that. And when it happens to you, you're like, oh yeah, I mean, give it to me. You want me to do 17 interviews tomorrow? Sure. Um, I love this this attention um, to with this character, especially. I mean, I, I worked my ass off, and I, I think I, we did we did good, and um, I think it's a flawless movie and um do i think my performance is flawless no i have some issues but like whatever i'm always gonna have issues but i'm but it feels good to like respect my performance the way other people seem to be respecting my performance like who wouldn't want that who doesn't want that kind of positive feedback um so i'm i'm on it i'm on this train and Cher was kind enough to jump on the train for a minute too because she's my grandmother <laughs> that's awesome well, that's how definitely... she refers to herself by the way <laughs> it's not awesome. me i'm not calling her my grandmother she looks about 40 right but whatever that's i awesome. mean her body looks about 20 but i guess i could i would say she's probably my age 
Well, you definitely have been getting plenty of attention. Golden Globe nomination, Critics' Choice, tons of other stuff. So uh, congrats on that. And uh, to add to your amazing year, uh, a, a new baby boy last year. Uh, yes. That's, that's amazing. Unexpected. <laughs> Well, well. Before I let you go, you know, I've heard you say in another interview recently that uh, as you balance uh, career and time with your family, you, I, I heard you say something to the effect of you might work less, but you want more meaningful work. What does that mean to you? And and what is this? What what do you want this next phase of your career to look like? I I have to capitalize on a moment. I'm not. I'm. I'm on. I'm. I know that there, this is a moment. Um, I've, I've had a few not quite like this, and the rules that I've been getting are different anyway because I am a mother and I am older and older. Inter- I mean, I'm not, I'm, there's, I'm no ingenue, um, and I'm grateful for that, whatever that fuck that means. But I, uh, yeah, I just want to do things that, um, I don't want to have a year like I did last year where I did three movies back to back. And all movies were important to me, but I don't want to to do that. I don't want to miss out on the, the family life like that. And 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 I think the next thing I do, if it be what it, whether it's going to be like a, um, a limited series, because that's just what's happening everywhere, um, or a movie with an incredible person, a director. I'm I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to give myself more time off. If it means that the next thing I do, I'm going to be as proud as I am of this to talk about, because I don't think about the outcome of movies. I do it for this, the, the experience, the director, the storytelling, the characters, the um, sometimes location does have an impact. <laughs> I will be honest, I, with a family, location is uh, does come into play now. And um, but most, most importantly, a good director and a good script, a good story, and um, I'm willing to wait because you know, I don't want to be talking to you a year from now and not wanting to talk about, I don't want to not want to be here. And so that's the, that's the test, isn't it? You can't control everything. You can't control what a director does in the editing room, but you can absolutely control what you do, what I do. And, and I want to be able to be as, I want to want to be present, you know? So it looks like I might be doing a limited series, maybe in September. We'll see. There's so many things happening. And that's another thing. It's very, it's hard to keep your eye on one ball when, you know, someone's like, I'm going to make a story about my life and somebody real. And I'm like, I want to play that. I want to play a real person again. So see, everything's always quote unquote in development, isn't it? Very tricky, but I've got, I've got mouths to feed. So it's like the here and now it's like Mank, kids, and that's that's definitely for the first time ever good enough for me, you know. That's awesome. Well, we'll definitely be looking for what's next for you. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me. I, I'm I'm so happy that you're getting all the, the attention for this role, one of my favorites of the year. So, uh, yeah, it's been great talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. It, it feels fucking good. Um, Ellen, thanks for asking me good questions and wanting to talk. Absolutely. See you later. Thanks, Daniel. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with Critics' Choice and Golden Globe nominee for Best Supporting Actress, Amanda Seyfried, for Mank. Mank is currently streaming on Netflix, and Amanda Seyfried is up for your consideration, as is the film in all Oscar-eligible categories. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. 
be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.